Hello, I'm Di Redmond, and I'm your host for today's Songs in the Wilderness. In this programme, we listen to the songs that have influenced our guests throughout their life and have influenced their faith too. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Father Peter Vignansky, Private Secretary to our own Bishop Peter Collins and Catholic Chaplain to the University of East Anglia. Nice to have you on the programme, Peter. I do hope I pronounce your name properly. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty good effort, actually. Um, <laughs> well done. So. Um, and Norwich is just a beautiful city. You're, you're very lucky to live there. And yeah. also, thank you for joining us from there. On, uh, on, we're on Zoom. Uh, but your work is all over East Anglia. Tell us about the spread of it, because it sounds like you've got quite a lot on your plate. Yeah, so obviously working with, with Bishop Peter, I'm sort of travelling around with him. You know, and it's a great gift to, you know, even though I, I grew up in the Diocese of East Anglia, uh, there's so many of its little corners that I've never seen or been able to get to know before. Um, so that's a great gift, um, but largely sort of based in Norwich, enjoying our wonderful cathedral, um, mm. which is always really wonderful. Um, it's great to spend a lot of time there. And yes, also with the Diocese and Youth Service, working, you know, confirmation programs here and sort of reconciliation services in schools here. So, yeah, there's quite a lot of moving around and just spending some time to really see a lot of beautiful places. And what about um, UEA? I mean, there's a base, obviously, in Cambridge because I pass it just about twice a day. Mm. But there are a few other bases, aren't there? Mm. Where are they? Um, just say that again, sorry. But I think the, there are a few other bases. For, I think there are a few other bases mm. for uh, UEA. I know there's one in Cambridge, but is the, there's another one um, somewhere else, isn't there? Yes, yeah. Um, I'm not sure, actually. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but anyway, you're a local lad. The point is that you know this area, probably like the back of your hand, probably a lot better than I do. So um, mm. you grew up in, in Cambridge. Um, and mm. wh where did you live? What? So initially, we, we lived on the north side of town. So that was when... We were based uh, at St. Lawrence's Parish. And so I went to the school. It was really nice recently to go to, to the school there to help with the the Cambridge Deanery of sort of being back sort of in that hall that I remember from sort of when I was sort of six, seven years old. So that was nice to be back there. And then, uh, yeah, so we were sort of regular attenders. I was an altar server at St. Lawrence's for many years. Um, people remember me. It was sort of looking a bit younger with, with very sort of shoulder length hair. That's sort of how I'm often remembered in the parish. Um, but then when, when I was about 16, 17, we moved um, to the south side of town, which is very convenient for me because that's when I started to go to Hills Road Sixthorn College. Oh, that's so perfect. Unlike, so, so unlike my, my sister had to cycle across town every day to get there. Um, I very luckily um, dodged sort of the, that, those much longer distances. Yeah, um, much longer. And then, uh, yeah, and then if they're... Um, and then actually for, for, for quite a while, still did go to Mass at St. Lawrence's. Nonetheless, actually, there was that sense of, of having a base mm. there. Um, it's a great parish, yeah, St. Lawrence's. Absolutely. Yes, mm. yeah. So mm. did you remain a Catholic through your teenage years and Hills Road? And did, did your faith flounder at all? Or did you? Just... Yeah, well, um, I mean, sort of within the sort of the general pattern of, of, of faith, you know, so some things that sort of kept me sort of keen to go to Mass. You know, I was serving and I did really... I, I took a, a drew a lot of meaning out of that, you know. I was you know sort of involved in the liturgies and um, uh, was really uplifted by them. So um, 
um, that was definitely a big factor. And then also sort of the liturgical music. My family was singing in the choir. Um, there was a youth choir at St. Lawrence's at the time that I would sing in. So, so yeah, the, sort of the music and the liturgy kind of sort of kept me in, involved. You know, I, I never had the, um, yeah, I never had the uh, the experience of essentially being sat in a pew. I, I guess that's sort of the beginnings of discerning a priestly vocation. I'm not, I've yeah, never really been used. That's interesting that yeah, you were always I've, you were always at some sort of high point, either in the choir or on the altar. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I never had the experience really of sort of consistently being sat sort of in the congregation. When I was at the university at Warwick, um, you know, I was I was helping with the music there and sort of yeah, things like that. So I always, you know, there was always a vicinity uh, to the liturgy. Um, oh, so which, you carried it, um, you carried it through. You After leaving home, you went to, you went to, um, oh, right, you went to university, not yeah. not Durham. I've, I've, I've uh, misremembered that. Oh, so, no, so I'm, I'm at Durham now. That's, a, that's yes, understandable. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, um, but yes, yeah, so I've went on to study engineering at Warwick University and there was a really thriving Catholic society there. And I'm st- still in touch sort of with, um, with many of my friends from that time um, now. Um, yes, yeah. No, th- I mean, this is really interesting because it's quite a lesson learned that you've got mm-hmm. that, that continuity throughout your whole life mm-hmm. of um, being involved in the church in a very, very active mm-hmm. way and then carrying it through after leaving home, which is when most people yeah. think, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. done with it. You know, I'm really, I'm yeah. really, I really want to change. In yeah. fact, I was going to ask you, um, was it a wrench leaving home or were you sort of up for it? Uh, no, I think I think I was up for it. I think um, I, yeah, I mean, I was very, very happy. I, re- I remember a friend of mine at the time putting it really well. Um, he said, you know, I, you know, he was, you know, our, our years at Hills Road in particular were, were very happy, you know, um, again, sort of lifelong friends. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a great school. I sort of really developed a lot as a person. But like the time had come to sort of fly the nest and sort of, you uh, um, yes, yeah, spread spread one's wings a bit further. So no, I was absolutely sort of ready for that adventure. I think that the buzz phrase in human resources these days is ready for new challenges. Um, <laughs> so bit, you know, yeah, I was. That's a bit of an I, understatement. Yeah, <laughs> Leaving so I, home. I, yes, yeah, I was. Um, yeah, ready for new challenges. Um, going to work, and I was just really looking forward to it. Um, so uh, mm. tell us about this. Your first piece of music is this. Is this no. synonymous with that that period in your life of being at university? But, Perhaps a little bit earlier, actually. So funnily enough, this is entirely unintentional, but it was that friend I was just mentioning who sort of talked about, you know, sort of being ready to, you know, it's not, you know, being ready to leave in a sense, you know, when we, from our time from Hills Road. Um, I was just staying at his house once when we were about 16, 17, and I woke up very early. He gave me a very uncomfortable bed. Um, (laughs) And I just started to sort of work my way through um, basically his CD collection. And, you know, I found this band that I'd never heard of. And it was maybe sort of four o'clock in the morning. Goodness. And it was an absolute um, moment of musical awakening for me. So that he had two albums by this band, Porcupine Tree, Deadwing and In Absentia. And I listened to them both back to back twice. And I was just completely transfixed. I have a very vivid memory of, of lying there on this bed and and just being in awe of, you know, I'd never heard music like this before. Um, and and I think a lot, of, a lot of the listeners will appreciate it when they listen. There's a real... Um, it's a band that really takes you on a journey. There's a real, I mean, there's a lot of technique. There's a lot of the musicality is excellent and it's complex. It's interesting. The harmony is not obvious, um, but it remains just, it's a very good piece of rock music. Um, and and this song that we're about to play, it's, it's probably one of their most famous songs. And, you know, I remember hearing this live at the Royal Albert Hall, um, which they sort of packed out and 
um, is just magic. Um, so, yeah. Um, Let's hear and- it. You and your family, Peter, were involved in diocesan youth groups and activities in uh, like World Youth Day and pilgrimages to Lourdes and Taizé. Um, sounds like you were really full on and were all these religious gatherings and events, they must have influenced your journey in faith enormously. Uh, and so, you, and plus, you also had your own band. Did all this happen at the same time? I just can't imagine how you had a minute to yourself. Yes, yes. Uh, that sort of uh, feels like a co- common element in my life. Um, for the finding, you know, I've learnt it's handy being bishop secretary how to fine tune, you know, a diary um, to get lots of things in. So um, yeah, absolutely. You know, those those young years, um, you know, the, the, especially the summer holidays between years at university, for example. You know, here's seven or eight weeks, whatever it was. Um, you know, let's pack it out. Let's use that time well. So. Um, something like World Youth Day is perfect for that, you know, or um, um, funnily enough, the, the real significance in Teze was actually that being the place where I actually sort of found and began to value the idea of silence and stillness and slowing down a bit. And actually, funnily enough, it was from there that, um, you know, I spent my most, most of my time. And of course, that has, you know, that community has its own amazing heritage of music, which I'm sure is a huge part of sort of my attraction there. The music was great. But where um, did you, where did you go, Peter, um, to have this? I mean, did you have Teze sessions during the week at St Lawrence's, for example, or did you actually go on retreats? No, so I would I would go to the place itself in France. So at one of our oh, you went oh, of course, yeah. Prior bishops, um, Bishop Michael Evans was a very oh, yeah. passionate mm. uh, supporter of the Teze community, and there was an annual pilgrimage from the diocese for the young people. And I think for maybe six years, I went every year on the trot. And then towards the end of that, I was going out there for longer. So I'd either stay for a few weeks um, after everyone else had left or I'd go out earlier. Um, so, yeah, that was and that was a huge part of, um, you know, it's funny how sort of the reasons why we go somewhere aren't the reasons why we stay. And the attraction of Teze was always, you know, a couple of wonderful weeks camping in the South French countryside sort of meeting really interesting people from all around the world, you know, with a bit of prayer, a bit of music. It's great fun. Um, but actually, that there was a much deeper movement going on, I think, in my spirit of uh, actually just learning to pray, I think, properly um, and um, understanding the value of silent prayer. You know, it's when I think back to sort of what was going through my head in those early moments of silent prayer, now you think, gosh, what an idiot I was. <laughs> but nevertheless, it just goes to show the Holy Spirit's always moving at a deeper level than what we think he is um sort of in terms of our own experience yeah. of that prayer mm. yeah so mm. what's significant is you were allowed to go before you were allowed to stay on that's quite mm. a privilege you mm. know when you when you're given that option because when you have those moments in your life you know like a brilliant retreat you just mm. think I, don't, I just don't want to go yet i want mm. and sometimes yeah. you just think i want to stay here forever because yeah. leaving means leaving that 
that place you found and that prayer you yes, found. But, but well, you... I'll, I'll spend my whole life being very grateful to the brothers of Teze because I mistook exactly what you've just described as maybe the embers of a calling to join the community, you know, to be a, one of the brothers in mm. Teze. Um, and they very clearly told me no, very quickly. Um, you know, so, um, you know, there, there's always, a, and, and, I, and I never took that as a sort of as a negative thing. You know, they just, you know, it was a great lesson in discernment of just, you know, well, just saying no to one thing doesn't, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you know, this isn't for you. No, um, it's, and, it's, it's, and, it's... And the brothers had a strong sense you know, the, 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 the artist and priesthood was for me. Um, so there was very much, they were also very mindful in sort of, yeah. you know, telling me um, that that little hill in the south of France, um, mm. you know, wasn't the place for me. Um, they knew full well that they were sort of giving me a very strong steer towards towards the diocese, um, which I'm always very grateful for. And um, and also to be able to say that without hurting somebody, but to mm. increase to actually increase their confidence mm, and absolutely. to direct them without yeah. feeling yeah. diminished or embarrassed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when we when we try to encourage others, actually there's not always a lot of charity in you know, if there is to be a sort of a moment of sort of decision that um might not be positive in a very simple sense. Yeah, just dragging that on. You know, the brothers could have avoided sort of that slightly awkward conversation mm-hmm. of telling me, and, and then you know, I could have spent months or years of my life there, kind of mulling along. Um, but uh, yeah, so that clarity that they mm. gave me was was a big step. I was always really grateful for that. It sounds um, amazing, amazing mm. experience, one hundred percent. So, mm. uh, so again, the music theme, which is a, a constant in your life, yeah. um, it 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 obviously blossomed even more at, at university. Mm. Where, where did the band fit in? Was the, your band, I think it was called Kil, Kildesco or something? Oh, so, no, so Kildesco is still going. We'll get to that one. Um, okay, all right, I, let's, let's leave it I, for so my, my sort of My sort of high school band that, you know, I had a lot of fun with, I'm really grateful for, um, you know, that was the band that, you know, we played big gigs. We recorded in some pretty big studios and it really helped. It meant sort of, it matured me as a musician sort of, you know, and I was, had a sort of confidence and a sort of professionalism that I would never have had um, as a 19 year old boy otherwise. Um, and that inevitably fizzled out when we all went to different universities, but mm. then mm. at the university of Warwick, there was funny enough, a thriving sort of jazz and big band scene. So actually by the end of my time at work, I'd been the president of the university big band <laughs> and we were playing lots of um, jazz and swing music and lots of funk music. Um, and so, and I'll, st- I'll start leading into the next next song because please, yeah, I was um, about to say that was kind of that that transition to then going to London. Sort of actually, you know, I'd realised during my studies of engineering that I wasn't going to be much of an engineer. Um, and then I went to study music and sort of develop these things a bit further. What I started to find was um, actually there was this um, this general pattern of things that I wasn't expecting in very different ways were preparing me sort of towards sort of life in the church. And one of the things that I really enjoyed, and it was such a blessing in my time in London, was to get involved with gospel music. Um, I hadn't really clocked, um, hadn't picked up on sort of the gospel music scene until I went to London. And then suddenly realizing that there was this very thriving Christian community of, of really excellent musicians that I could, I learned so much from, um, and I had some great opportunities to learn and play with some really amazing musicians playing this sort of contemporary gospel music. And as you'll hear when the song's playing, it's it's very difficult. You know, I remember my first few gigs, I was really sweating and, you know, really playing very hard and focusing incredibly hard. 
just to get things right, because it is very precise. And a lot of those things that I'd learned in sort of picking up from playing big band and funk and jazz music at the university suddenly was being applied in this quite Christian context, which just really fascinated me just as a, you know, I just wasn't, I'd never expected when I was learning to, you know, play with sort of precision and sort of with some groove that that would somehow translate then to sort of being involved in the Christian life in London. Um, and yeah, as I said, I'm just really grateful for those experiences of, of playing with some of the gospel choirs in London, um, which was always such a privilege and such a joy. Is, is Strong Tower a game? For, is it a gospel group piece? So, so, yes, absolutely. So, so Marvin Sapp's one of the great figures of, of gospel music. Um, I picked Strong Tower as something representative. It's one of the shorter ones. Um, some of the others are quite long. Um, but, you know, what, what will come across as we listen is that just the energy, the joy of it, but actually the precision of the musicality which comes together. Um, yeah, those are two elements of my life really come together in a very satisfying way that was very meaningful. Strong Tower, sung by Marvin Sapp. Such a powerful piece of music. No wonder you're exhausted at the end of all that. It's incredible. Yeah, you can imagine th things like that are incredibly fun to play. Um, oh, yeah. So, so, so um, exciting. Mm. Our music choices this morning have been chosen by my guest, Father Peter Wignanski. Have I pronounced your name right? I'm worried about it. Yes, yeah, that was that was there too. Good, great. <laughs> Good uh, assistant to busy Bishop Peter Collins in Norwich. We come to the turning point in your life, Peter. You applied for a place in a seminary. How did this come about? Did the idea of vocation creep up on you through your teens, for example, in Teze? You've already talked mm. about that. Mm. It sounds like it was always, always somewhere at the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And in many ways, sort of that path of, um, you know, having studied engineering and finishing that degree and sort of yeah, yes, I went to music college, but already taking that first step away from sort of the obvious outcome of, you know, an engineering graduate, you know, I went to music college instead already, you know, there's that sort of more vocational element. There's a sort of turning away from sort of the obvious path in life and sort of actually, sort of realizing sort of in hindsight, that was kind of the first step towards priesthood, really. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was, you know, okay, I'm going to do something, you know, there was just that sort of restlessness in my heart. You know, this is all very St. Augustine, you know. Mm -hmm. There was definitely that time in my life where, you know, where what I was, I just felt that restlessness that I just wasn't on the right path. And as as much fun as sort of, you know, playing gospel music was and um, sort of really sort of faced with the reality of what sort of the life of a professional musician is like and, um, and you know, it's just some of the other challenges that exist in that world. Um, there was a restlessness there too. Um, so, so the thing that remained then sort of was, okay, well, I think, well, maybe I've got to give that a go. Um, and there wasn't really a, um, sort of a, sort of a very clear rock bottom moment that I just thought, okay, you know, I just need to just completely do something radically different. Um, sometimes that's what people pick up sort of when I give a bit of a sort of reflection on my discernment, they just think sort of life in London was awful, but, um, in fact, it wasn't, that was sort of the thing uh, I've talked about before, um, in various contexts about, the, having received the double grace of, you know, God gave me the grace to build the life I thought I wanted um, so that I was then sure that what I needed to do was not sort of follow my own heart's desires, but 
sort of let God transform that heart and um, show me his plan for my life. Um, so it was a bit of a gamble, but I thought, okay, well, sort of by deduction, you know, once an engineer, always an engineer. Sort of <laughs> the next step in the process was clear, right? Well, I guess I'd get to give the other thing a go. Um, so yeah, so I applied um, to the Diocese of East Anglia, which is always sort of, you know, within the church, sort of my home. Um, and uh, Bishop Allen then, he was newly, mm, um, yes. um, newly arrived in the Diocese of East Anglia, um, then gave me the great blessing of, of sending me to Rome for what ended up being eight years. Um, a long a, time. You were there a long, yeah. long time. How did, yeah, so, well, how so did this that come out? So because I, so I did the, sort of the six years of training for the priesthood. And then I, and it, during that process of training for the priesthood, um, you know, I, I discovered um, a real interest um, in theology. You know, well, a very particular part of theology. But um, of course, that's the thing with any academic field. The more you study it, your sort of your point of view starts to really narrow and sort of you become quite precise on what you're working on. And I found this little world of theology that um, that really sort of, you know, got my heart and my mind going. And uh, and so, so Bishop Allen very graciously um, encouraged me to do um, further studies. Um, and so and then even to start a, a doctoral um, thesis, which I started in Rome and I'm, I'm now working on more um, part time um, from here. So you can add that to my to do list. Um, so um, which is why I say I am a part time student at the University of Durham and uh, right, very right. grateful for the for the Center of Catholic Studies up there for supporting um, my work, which is very much a continuation of what I discovered um, sort of, you know, really piqued my curiosity. Um, and my interest and really supported my faith when I was studying theology out in Rome. So let's tell the um, the listeners that what you actually got was a Vatican Research Scholarship and the Ratzinger Foundation and how your work is to bring the theology of Pope Benedict to future generations. I mean, that's enormous. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. So that's, that's, a, that's this really quite interesting. Well, it's a very interesting place in Oxford called the Future of Humanity Institute. Um and uh, there, I've been following their work sort of vicariously for a while. Um, and they, they have this sort of, you know, from, the, from a philosophical point of view, um, they're on a bit of a mission to get us to take our relationship with humanity's potentially long-term future more seriously. Um, and they're starting to, to make some impact. You know, they, they're not, not all of it's necessarily great. Some of the press they've had has been quite bad. Um, but I just thought, okay, well, it'd be really interesting to see what a, response from the Catholic faith to these ideas might be. Um, and for various reasons, Joseph Ratzinger seemed a really obvious mm -hmm. uh, theologian to do that with. I was working at the time under the mentorship of something of a Ratzinger expert in Rome, uh, and he was the one that put me onto this. Um, I'd started going down a different path, and he'd said, no, you need to do Ratzinger for this one. Um, so then, so I, then that project started, um, and then, yeah, then I thought, well, actually, why not apply to the Ratzinger Foundation because they do have scholarships for PhD students. Um, and it's all about sort of, you know, applying the great gifts of Pope Benedict's thoughts and Ratzinger's thought um, to the challenges of our time. Um, and so this was right on their brief. Um, so, um, but nevertheless, really grateful for that opportunity. Well, just the recognition um, that they've, and the, the trust they've shown in the project I'm working on, that it's worth supporting. And um, so yeah, with their help now, very much grateful for uh, this chance to just explore that question a little bit. Um, you know, it really is, you know, it's, you know, these are some, some of the sort of big questions facing humanity. So all I can do is just start to sketch out a little bit how Pope Benedict 
can help us start to answer these questions. But it's always really interesting stuff to work on. But um, you've been so blessed along your way with such help and guidance. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, was, uh, someone once said to me that um, God's grace is always essentially other people. Um, and, you know, God's blessings to us are at the end of the day, always other people. And um, and so the, yeah, that, mm, that's, that's sort of, true. That's true. It, the institutional support I've had along the way, the mentorships, the guidance, the, you know, just those, those little bits of advice here and there just to gently point me on the right path. And so, yeah, I've been very grateful um, and very blessed with the support that I've received um, over the years. And that sort of, yeah, sort of brought me to where I am now. Um, yeah, I mean, you must have learned so much from other people on guidance and just an instinct about how to 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 direct people without being mm. clumsy um mm, yeah you must well, because obviously you've you've been directed by very sensitive people yeah, absolutely you'd have to ask the students here at the uea whether or not i sort of whether that's translated to sort of my guidance of them uh but yes no it's yeah so obviously now and this is a big part of discerning priestly vocation you mm-hmm. all you're really doing is giving the gifts god's given you back to his church and his people and ultimately back to him. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of the, sort of the general shape of things. It's a powerful, um, yeah. it's a powerful okay. mission. It's, it's... Mm. Mm. Tell us about your third piece of music, which I can't wait to hear. Yeah. So, so this one, yeah, I've got sort of 30 seconds by the sheet to talk through this one. It's no, quite don't a... worry. So, <laughs> don't it, worry. I, I absolutely love this piece of music. It's from a series of pieces composed by Darufle, who's my favorite composer. Um, people will be familiar with the Ubi Caritas mm-hmm. one. Um, um, it's very famous, and you know everyone sort of. It's it's almost tricky that piece because it it opens with the normal chant of, of Ubi Caritas, and then just this most beautiful sort of romantic harmony just starts to break out. And uh, and and that series of pieces was was given as an example by one of my professors in Rome, as talking about sort of the life of the church and theology needs to be like this um, because. You know, some people think that sort of the life of the church and theology is this sort of this big building that's built and it's there forever and it never changes. Some people just want to knock it down and just build something completely new. But actually this understanding, and this is a very, um, you know, Ratzinger talked about this a lot, the idea of the church as being like a living organism that grows. And, um, you know, there's the, the, the relationship between the acorn and the oak tree um, they seem very different from one to the other, but they're still the same thing. And so the idea of organic growth, also very John Henry Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a piece of music like this that sort of takes those ancient Gregorian chants um, and without being disloyal to, to their roots, actually just develops and grows them out. Um, and so just this piece of music, and I remember this professor of mine, you know, he said, musically, this expresses what we need to be doing in theology of um, you know, in terms of trying to find that balance between, you know, never betraying our roots and never trying to do something radically new or something contradictory, but nevertheless um, allowing the life of the Holy Spirit um, to, to bless bless the church in, in new growth. And so, you know, these are very tricky ideas, but this piece, um, I think, really shows that musically. It's beautiful.
Father Peter Vignansky, what a great choice of music. So yeah. beautiful, so soothing mm. to the soul. Mm. So after eight years, very happy years, you described mm. them in Rome, you were ordained, but mm. during the pandemic, how did that work out? I mean, did you get ordained on Zoom? <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's... Um... Actually, I was speaking to someone last night. They were asking me um, who, who was working in public health at the time. You know, she was asking me, you know, what, what did the Catholic Church do during the pandemic? And I just sort of said, well, we didn't try to do the things we normally do online. You know, we just tried to do other things that we could do online. Uh, and yeah, so definitely. So ordinations by Zoom weren't an option. But there was quite an anx anxious time of realizing whether or not I was going to be ordained at all. So we were all sent back from Rome, um, you remember at the beginnings of the yeah, pandemic, yeah, Italy was the sort of the hotbed yes, in Europe. Absolutely. And, and so very naively, we sort of left Italy thinking that, that we were going to escape the problem. Uh, um, it was, you know, it was just a matter of three or four weeks. Um, you know, it was three or four weeks before England went into lockdown as well. So, um, but anyway, so I, so I took up refuge in Barrison Edmonds. I'll always be very grateful to the parish there as they took me in. Um, nobody really wanted to take these sort of, strange vagrants from a plague-ridden land all of a sudden yeah. to themselves. Um, Lots of thoughts, yes. Yeah, <laughs> the, the good people of Bergen Edmonds took me in. Father David Bagstaff, our vicar general, was very good oh, to yes. me. Yes. Um, mm. And, you know, initially it was sort of for two or three weeks, but, you know, everyone in their own ways will remember the uncertainty of that time of what on earth is going on, how long is this going to last, you know, is the world about to end, you know, and and I was due to be ordained a priest that summer um, in 2020. Um, and... So it's in that context, bizarrely enough, that, um, um, you know, in many ways, I really prepared for the priesthood. You know, I, I had to teach myself to say the mass in a little chapel um, there, sort of there in Bergen Edmonds, rather than sort of the classes that we'd normally be having in the seminaries. And yeah, um, yeah. I used to have Zoom, Zoom sessions with Monsignor John Armitage from Walsingham. Um, oh, did you? Did you? Uh, to teach, teach me like, how to hear confessions and things like that, or at least to sort of finish things off. So... Um, it was an interesting, you know, finishing our studies or doing a, you know, carrying on with our studies online and just writing lots of essays rather than having exams and things like that. So, uh, and amongst all of that, there was the question of, okay, well, am I actually going to be ordained? Um, um, but also uh, um, mm. coming from, from Rome and mm. all that happiness and all that business yeah. Yeah. Um, and interaction, yeah. you're in Bury St. Edmunds and the church oh. is closed. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was... You know, it was it was significant that you know, you know, as a church, as a people of God, you know, th the experience of the pandemic was was a difficult one, and to I was grateful to be able to experience that from the context of a parish in the home diocese, you know, rather than sort of in the relatively blissful isolation. Um, you know, later on during the pandemic, when we were back in Rome, um, and you know, we were in lockdown, quote unquote, but in this sort of 18th century Italian Roman palace with a swimming pool and two churches and a gym and a roof terrace and things like that. wasn't quite the same experience. We were very blessed in that regard. Um, but that initial lockdown to sort of live that and share that experience with the parish, all those processes of slowly reopening and things like mm, that. and was amazing. Working, working out. It was, it was such a, um, um, you know, obviously a very difficult time, but, um, you know, the, the, there were graces amongst it always. Um, so, yeah, but then in the end I was ordained. It was a, it was an odd ceremony. Um, sort of face masks and hand sanitizer everywhere. And where were um, you? Were you ordained in Bury St. Edmunds? In the cathedral um, oh. in Norwich. Oh, good, so, and, good. And because it's so enormous, actually, I could have, there's about 200 people there, but 
in a very odd way, just sort of all spread out all the way through the cathedral, sort of socially distancing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, the nature of the music was very different because the, we couldn't sing hymns and things like that. So, um, but um, yeah, so it was a very memorable um, ordination. I think, you know, we'll look back at, um, you know, I'll look back at the photos of that ceremony for, for years to come with a sort of peculiarity. Um, but amongst it all then, as, as things started to get, get going again, something I was really grateful for was um, sort of one of the, um, some of the musicians that I've been friends with since high school, since sixth form college. Um, one, of, one of our friends, Zach, had started writing songs again during the pandemic. Um, and so we started working on an album together at a distance. So it was, it was quite a fun process because Zach would record some things on his phone in London. He'd send them to me in Rome. I'd sort of start doing some basic arrangements, send them to Cambridge. Some guy would work on some other bits. Um, and then as things started to open up again, after um, as the pandemic started to ramp down, um, we, we could meet in the studio in Cambridge um, and sort of start to record properly. Um, and this piece of music we're about to listen to is, is really significant because there's 10 songs on that album. Nine of them were done in that sort of quite strange sort of distance working method. Um, and this 10th one um, actually came about together. It was the only one that came about when the three of us were in the same room at the same time, sort of the way music's supposed to be made. Um, and it was, and as all best music um, comes to light, it was quite spontaneous. We were meant to be working on something else. Zach came up with one idea. I quickly grabbed, um, I think I sat by the piano and just, you know, and it just came together, you know, in the afternoon and we just recorded it there and then. And it was a really real milestone for my experience of, okay, we're kind of getting back to normal now. Um, and sort of, you know, that, that sort of the relationality of, yeah, of music, but then also of life and of, um, and then also of my priestly ministry was sort of starting that new chapter. Wonderful moment. Let's hear Miles Away by your band, Kildesco.
great piece of music, Miles Away, sung by Father Peter, my guest, his own band, Kildesco. Where did you get the title from? You know, I can't remember. I think it was one of these weird things. So there's there's three of us. So there's Zach, who's the main singer and songwriter. Um, then Tim, who's the lead guitarist. So you'll have just heard mm-hmm. his, he's just such a w- wonderful player. So his, his little acoustic guitar solo there um, always gives me shivers. And then I sort of do everything else. I'm sort of the guy that sits at the back of the room and um, does bits and pieces. Um, and I think Zach and I wanted one name and Tim sort of wanted another and I think we just sort of came to some mathematical, mathematical compromise between the two. Um, yeah. And I can't remember exactly what the process was, but that's, yeah, it's a, it's devoid of any particular meaning or uh, significance. But, but there we go. Um, it's it's yeah. great sound, wonderful sound. <laughs> and now, as if your life can't get any busier, mm. you're heading up the new Diocese of East Anglia's Youth Music Ministry Team, which is actually mm. the perfect, perfect job for you. Um, but how do you not get over involved because of your passion for music and your ability um mm. how do well how do you stand back and let people learn for themselves um well i guess the thing to say is that still it's it's very early days um you know something like that has to um grow very organically so so something else i'm involved with is is the one hope project um you know originally down in london now it's sort of more nationally um and having seen that develop from you know, what was essentially just some few mates gathering every now and then in, in Joe's basement um, or living room um, is now a sort of, you know, major contributor to the life of Christian contemporary music in our country um, and with a really wonderful sort of Catholic and sacramental ethos. Um, you know, that's happened over the course of 10 years. So, and in many ways, sort of with trying to do something on a diocesan level um, is sort of trying to share some of, some of the great gifts of the spirit working in some other places in that way. But it's always done through this element of just building up very slowly, you know, starting with who we've got. And um, it's not um, the, the reality at the moment doesn't really match sort of the fairly grand title it has. You know, it's just, you know, there's, there's you know, maybe four or five people that have expressed some interest and um, you know, that I've played with in different contexts before. And, you know, these are young people in the diocese that have a really very significant sort of raw potential talent musically. And, um, to try and sort of bring them together then and just help them sort of create something there. Um, yeah, it would be really special. Um, it certainly would. And you have some musical numbers, I think, under your belt, which you hope to perform for the Pope at World Youth Day. That's pretty that's, ambitious. That's it. Um, yeah, sure. No, I, th- I think there's, there's, there's some crossed wires there um, because... Um, <laughs> Am, I, <'cause> I, yeah. <laughs> Am I bigging <laughs> it up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, well, it's just because... So, so I think just in various biographies of, of me that sometimes seem to pop up here and there, what's because I, I did sing for the Pope, and then sometimes what seems to pop up is I sang for the Pope at World Youth Day, which isn't actually true. Um, as a deacon, I sang the gospel at one of the Pope's liturgies, which was an amazing experience. Um, and I went to World Youth Day a lot. So that's kind of all tangled in. So no, very much more sort of humble uh, goals. At the moment, we're, we're sort of working hard to just get a group of musicians together for our diocesan uh, youth festival the ignite festival in may oh yes um, good so yes. um so that we can um yeah sort of support that from within the young people of the diocese itself in terms of the musicians uh, and the music ministry there um so that that will be um yeah that, that should be great you know and i'm really excited about that um uh, coming together um it'll be hard work and as i say just slowly starting with what we've got but um, yeah, there's a lot of gifts out there. But mm. It's just about sort of creating that space um, 
um, where these things can come together. Um, and I've interviewed several pretty wonderful young people from Ignite. Uh, mm. You know, the passion and the um, and their creativity is just, it's awesome. It, mm. Every time I interview them, they just leave me flabbergasted. Mm. They're so committed and so like, full of the love of God. Yes, you know, absolutely. Absolutely bursting yeah. with... with yeah. um, with joy it's been wonderful yes, yeah. now you're juggling so many things but one of them is the bishop's diary yes, yeah. and as, as somebody who just is um pretty shambolic about diaries mm. um how do you do it i mean i've met father peter um, he's in orbit you know he's mm. he's here there and everywhere and he's mm. very very committed and very he's very good uh, wherever mm. he is he's full on so mm. how on earth do you organise a man like that who's needed by everybody? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it's it's just being very strict sort of with that diary and, uh, yeah, being on top of things. So, um, you know, we were talking informally before the start of the show. Um, you know, the credit here really goes to the bishop's personal administrator, um, Laura, who is superhuman in this department. Um, and, you know, there's just you know a real focus on... Because you need to get the diary right, as you, as you say. Um, and it's not just about sort of filling it in. It's also making sure that there's the space there. And, um, you know, anyone who's tried to get an appointment with the bishop, um, one factor that you have to wrestle against is Laura very heroically actually guarding some some time for the bishop to rest, um, yes, actually. Yes. Um, so she, she, has, she has a real instinct for um, when actually you can, you know, if the bishop's got a day off, you know, maybe he can have a Zoom here or a meeting with someone there. Or if actually, you know what, no, he, he can't do that now. So I've, I've learned to trust her intuitions on this. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure because if it was up to the bishop, he'd just be going nonstop all the time and he'd wear himself out. So so mm -hmm. praise God for, for Laura, who does the diocese, <laughs> a wonderful service. of. Uh, and so, yeah, between between the three of us, then we just have to sort of juggle. OK, well, what are the requirements? What, what does the bishop need to do? What can the bishop do? Um, and what rest does he need and what downtime does he need to mm. be able to? Um, and I just know that we're, because um, actually, as many people know, the bishop's not been very well recently. Um, oh, I didn't know that. In the, in the, he's just had a very monumental flu, essentially. Um, oh, but in the coming, coming months, there's some things that I know he's really looking forward to and um, sort of, uh, you know, some retreats. And on the 40th anniversary of his priesthood, he's going to visit his old seminary in Spain in Valladolid. So, um, yeah, so it's looking forward to, the, you know, the, the, the coming months should be very positive. Um, in terms of yes, yeah, sort of him continuing his work, and uh, but also sharing with him in, in some of these uh, yeah, sort of moments of you know him being nourished, him being fed um, yes, by what's mean, meaningful to him, yeah. so that he can keep on going um, because uh, um, he needs yeah, he's, it. He has, yeah, and he has a long road ahead of him in our diocese. Um, we're going to have him for quite a while, so we need to make sure mm. we look after him uh, so that um, yeah, so that we can. Uh, keep benefiting from from his insight and his wisdom. Well, it sounds uh, like you're doing for as a, long as possible. <laughs> you're doing a great job, Father Peter. Mm. Now, back to your chaplaincy work. Um, mm. You're one of the youth chaplains. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So how well, many are there? So so within the diocese, there's there's a group now. And I can't remember exactly if it's six or seven of us. I think it might be seven uh, sort of priests that previously when there's been uh, uh, one youth chaplain. So a big shout out has to go now to Father Luke Goymore, who uh, oh, yes, yes. for years did, did wonderful work um, with uh, with the youth service in the diocese. Um, and there's been a great support to me over the years. Uh, but what was recognized was 
um, trying to be the only youth chaplain in the diocese and also being a parish priest was just impossible. Yes, um, so, the, so what we're trialing at the moment is actually having a number of priests sort of that are sort of designated as being part of the youth chaplaincy team. So then when the diocese is organizing something, it has that pool of priests to draw from rather than any particular man who's then constantly in tension with his sort of parish responsibilities or what else he's got going on. And then also being asked to, to help with things in the diocese. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a group of us and uh, it just, again, it sort of just happens quite organically. I think sort of when people are organizing things, you know, they've got that list. Um, they know who to get in touch with if, if they need a priest to come, come help with things. And there's a, we're, we're going to meet for the first time as a group um, in the coming month just to also think about proactively what, what we can do to um, support and develop sort of the provision of, uh, yeah, just to encourage the, the young people in, in our diocese. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fantastic young people in this diocese. Mm. I think you should get your another diary out called um, <laughs> <laughs> World <laughs> Youth Day. <laughs> well, we're already, um, sadly, we're up to your very last piece of music. Mm. Um, can you briefly tell us about this and why you chose it? Um, yeah, so this is... Um, so actually this group that we're about to listen to, United Pursuit, um, were a big part of um, actually me growing to really love and appreciate uh, praise and worship music. Um, I think, I, I don't mind saying that sort of some of the praise and worship music that was happening, that sort of let's say in the 90s and the noughties, and it was sort of Christian pop rock really didn't do a lot for me. But there's this idea of sort of a more contemplative form of uh, worship music, um, much more rooted sort of in folk music rather than sort of pop rock. Um, and it's much more conducive to prayer. I've seen it used very powerfully, um, sort of, for example, in the context of Eucharistic adoration. Um, I've seen it used very powerfully to introduce people um, to the love of God. And so just um, in a way that's representative of that, this, you know, the, the, the lyrical content of this song, the idea of the, just the transformative power of God's love, which sort of I see um, just at work time and time again, sort of here at the chaplaincy at the university, where I am right now working with the young people in the diocese and have experienced in my own life um, that living power of God that, that we meet that does change everything. And uh, music like this is a really powerful way of expressing that. Thank you. And as we play you out and the programme closes, thank you so much, Father Peter, um, from Norwich, um, Bishop Secretary, Multitask Muscular, Thank you for hearing that yeah. is to hear your songs uh, in the wilderness. A, it's been a joy. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you very much. And thank you out there, everybody, for listening to our songs in the wilderness. Goodbye for now. Lord, you spoke those words. You spoke so Now I choose to believe you love me, you love You've been listening to a podcast from Radio Maria.
If you enjoy these programs, please consider becoming one of our monthly donors. All you need to do is visit www.radiomariaengland.uk and click on the Support Us tab for various options. We rely entirely on donations, so thank you to all our listeners who support us.